Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning. On our show today, we have Tom Kramer, a serial entrepreneur and founder of The Brain Trust, a CEO peer group that advises CEOs on running their businesses. Tom, thanks so much for being here with us this morning. And thank you, Soany. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'd love to start the show just by finding out, in your mind, what do you think are the top uh, trends or recommendations that you think are really important for uh, our CEO listeners to, to, to think about? Well, uh, some of the things that I'm seeing uh, with our members of the Brain Trust uh, is uh, uh, we're looking at the business from a, an analytical point of view and uh, I think the role of the salesperson and uh, applying analytical ideas uh, in uh, the selling process in a company is something that I'm seeing uh, more of, and I have some ideas around that. Uh, one of just the to ideas interrupt you, Tom, just how many folks do you have, how many <laughs> CEOs do you have who work with you in the, in the Brain Trust? Well, we have about 35, and that's in two different groups. So we have an average of 17, 16 or 17 people in a group, in two different groups. Yeah, and uh, just a, by way of background, what industries or is there any common common theme or uh, any unifying theme? Not really. We have um, a kind of a, an expectation that there will be no conflicts of interest and no competitors in the group. So if you've got 15 or 16 or 17 members with no competitive issues, then by that very nature of that kind of a group, you're going to have high technology, low technology, service companies, manufacturing, something of, of almost everything because we can't have competitors right. in, in the group. Right. So you were saying that the, the first thing that you think is really important is the, the changing role of the salesperson. So I interrupted you. Sorry about that. Yeah, the changing role of the salesperson and, and an analytical approach to how we look at the selling, the selling process. And one of the things that I'll be talking about in a few minutes is uh, ideas around uh, uh, a, a single attention can be given to a, an aspect of the business in the selling process that can increase profits by as much as 80%, believe it or not, 30 to 80%. We'll talk about some ideas how you can do that in a, in a few minutes. So when you say the changing role of the salesperson, what does that, that really mean? Well, we've heard a lot about consultative selling. And we heard a lot about adding value in the selling process. But what I'm seeing in a lot of companies uh, in the marketplace is that they talk about that. They give it lip service. Uh, we see a lot of companies who are uh, hiring salespeople. And this, you know, you got, you got to realize that most of the companies in the marketplace are $2 million to, to $15 million companies. The bigger companies are, are doing it. The bigger companies are are more sophisticated and and have training systems in place and 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 but what I'm finding out in the smaller businesses which are in the two million to fifteen million dollar range, most of them believe it or not are hiring their salespeople. They give them a couple of weeks of training and show this is what we do. Maybe the sales manager or the CEO goes out with them on a few calls and they basically say this is what we do. This is how we do it. Go get them and uh, and. Uh, that uh, that doesn't uh, always provide the best results. 
But uh, so I think that what I'm seeing is that we need to pay more attention to bringing the new salespeople on and finding the right people and training them and, and all those kinds of things and really showing them how they can add value in the selling process. And adding value is, is things like uh, in the selling process, understanding the customer's business well enough to, uh, to uh, actually show them how the, the use of their uh, product or service can add value to their customer's customer or add value to their business or make them more money. Uh, they, 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 are, they need to be looking for ways that they can, uh, they can serve their customer's customer. They, they, they need to look for ways that they can help their, their prospective customer uh, reduce cycle times or uh, add uh, more profitability, even if it doesn't involve selling them their product. Maybe, maybe there's another c- competitor who might be able to even do a better job. And, and when you admit that in the selling process that, gee, you know, our service might not be the absolute best for you, maybe something else is, but if I just understood this, this, and this, Mr. Customer, I could help you uh, evaluate how our service could make you more money or, do, or give you a better result. Yeah, so... Just to be make sure that I'm clear, what actually is different? Because to me, that sounds like what value-added selling should be or should have been all along. Um, but you're saying that, at least from what you're, you're seeing, is that there's more emphasis on that or that maybe CEOs are getting it a little bit more clearly? I think, I think that's exactly right because they're losing. Uh, if, if they're not selling that way, they're starting to see that the smaller co- companies are starting to get it. And... Uh, and when we've evaluated when you lose a deal, they, the customer usually tells you that they lost based on price. But that's almost never the truth. It's the easy answer to, to give a, a salesman when he asks, why, why didn't we get the business? And it's so easy just to say that, but the reality is the company that provides the best solution in terms of adding value, the best, the, the best connection between the, the buyer and the salesman, where they're really connecting, is the one who wins the business. And so we need to be teaching our salespeople how to connect with the customer and how a lot people skills and not just selling and closing, but it's all about relationships and people and, and adding value, right. really adding value, not just talking about it. True, true. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you shared a few of your ideas on how to add value, but in your mind, what is the real difference between value and price? Because it's very easy to get them conflated. You know, where people think that, you know, value and price, they're obviously related, but as somebody thinks about, okay, so I need to be able to elevate my sales um, presentation above just the price conversation. Tell me a little bit about how that looks in your, in your mind. Well, that's a hard question to answer uh, without using an example. Well, go uh, ahead. Or, you, we'd love to hear. Uh, I'd love to hear an example. Um, well, let's let's say I'm selling the brain trust, and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and I uh, uh, and I'm working with a potential customer, and I'm calling on that person, and 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 I'll uh, I'll basically give the CEO an idea about all how, how he can actually benefit in terms of uh, new ideas, in terms of uh, reducing uh, overhead, attracting the right kind of people, re- retention ideas. Um, it, it's, all about, it's all about talking about how the, the, uh, the company is going to benefit uh, 
and um, it's uh, uh, price never really comes into into the equation. It's it's uh, uh, it's a, tra- a transaction that basically the CEO is exchanging his time and some investment in an opportunity to learn from other people, an opportunity to uh, to find uh, solutions to his problems from people who've already been there, kind of a thing, and. Uh, 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 so it's the the conversation is focused on uh, on how the uh, the, the customer can uh, can ex- give that exchange of time uh, and really learn something valuable and really really um, have breakthroughs potential breakthroughs potential uh, ideas that can totally change the game in his company because his or her company because there are other members in in the group that are that are. Uh, changing the game in their industry. And uh, uh, so, so where does an idea come from? Uh, if you get out of your comfort zone where in your company and get away from the chaos from a half, for a half day a month, which is basically what we do, we, we, we sit together uh, in our meetings for a half day and, and give advice and counsel to each other. And uh, uh, getting away from the business and rubbing shoulders with like-minded people and give you an opportunity to see what other people are doing and, and, and creating ideas around how you can differentiate yourself and, and, uh, and become uh, the company that would put you out of business if you really did, did the right things. Right. And, and so one trend that you, you've, you've, you've seen is a renewed focus on value-added selling. And then you also managed, mentioned um, analytics. Um, and so tell us a little bit more about what you're seeing with, with the use of analytics. Well, um, one of the things I wanted to talk about was something, uh, what we call a leverage point in business or what single thing you can do to impact the profitability of your business. The biggest single thing that you can do is uh, to impact profitability is to increase your closing percentage or your conversion rate. And that's, uh, that's about analytics, right? So if you think about this for a second, Let's let's use an example. Let's take a company that's a ten million, an average company that's average success, a ten million dollar business that uh, that has a thirty percent gross margin, twenty percent overhead, mm-hmm. which means they've got a ten percent net profit. Mm-hmm. And let's say out of this this hypothetical company in twenty fourteen, they had uh, uh, for every ten prospective customers that they went out to, to win the business, they were able to close three of them. So their conversion rate or their close rate was 30%. Okay. Now let's say that you do four or five of the 15 things that, that if we have time to talk about today, we're going to talk about to increase that percentage of win to four t- out of 10 Let's just take a look at the analytics. That's about a 30% increase, a 33% increase in closing. So let's just use round numbers because I can work with round numbers better than 33%. So let's say that uh, in 2015, for every 10 opportunities that we had to sell, we closed four instead of three, a 30% increase in closure rate. That's a 30% increase in sales. So this $10 million company is now in 2015, if they increase their closure rate by 30% from 3 to 4 out of 10, then they 
will increase their revenue by 30%. So a $10 million company has incremental sales of $3 million. Yeah, they're going to go up by to, to $13 million, right? Exactly. Right. And if they have a 30% gross margin, that means an incremental contribution to profit of, of $900,000. Right. So their gross margin is $900,000. And for most companies, their incremental overhead is not the same. They might have additional selling expenses. They might have some additional overhead, maybe in, in production capacity. But it's nowhere near the 20% it was on the first $10 million. So of that $900,000 increase in gross margin dollars for 2015, you could reasonably argue that for most companies, the uh, net incremental profit from that revenue is about would be about $700,000, just to pick a, a, mm. a, a number that's arguably could be possible for many companies. That's a 70% increase in net profit. The net profit was 10% of $10 million, which is $1 million. And the extra $700,000 in uh, net profit is a 70% increase in net profit just by increasing your closure rate from 3 out of 10 to 4 out of 10 by doing certain things that we're going to talk about. Yeah, well, I mean, I think even without the 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 numbers, I think people intuitively get that if you increase more increase your business from the same amount of effort or basically a, the the same amount of effort, you're going to end up making a lot more money. Um right. so but in terms of the analytic piece of it, how does that how do the analytics figure into the focus on the close rate? It, 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 it doesn't. It, it's, it's the analytics is the data that I just gave you. Got it. Okay. So you're seeing what you're seeing is you're seeing your CEOs really dig into that sales data and look for the gold in terms of how to manage their sales process from looking at the, the different close rates or the different ra- conversion rates. Uh, for, for giving me for not being clear enough, but, but the analytics part of it is, is simply what the data that I just gave you, the, the, the 30, going from a closure rate of 30% to a closure uh, rate of, uh, of uh, 39%, Got basically, it. is what it is. So, but there are certain things you can do to increase your, your conversion, your, and, and it, has to do about, it has to do with non-analytical things. Got it. So we'll come back to that. Are there okay. any other trends or things that you're seeing that you think are really important to highlight? Well, uh, with the... Uh, uh, with the advent of LinkedIn and and uh, and and web-based marketing and and websites being so important to our businesses, we're finding that uh, most of the buyers from our uh, member cu- customers uh, have already spent uh, quite a bit of time researching the marketplace and researching vendors. So that uh. most buyers are more than fifty percent of the way through the buying process by the time you encounter them. So you're saying that if you're going to go sell somebody anything, they've already checked you out on LinkedIn and Googled you and done all that research, and they may be 50% of the way to making a decision by the time they've already right, met you. Because they've done that with you, they've done that with your competitors. And so basically what that tells you is that you better be on your game with, uh, with your, all your profiles on LinkedIn with your people. And uh, your website needs to be uh, best in, in class. And it needs to be uh, mobile friendly. Uh, there's a term that's called responsive. If your if your uh, website is responsive, it means that it's mobile friendly. That that uh, people can pull up your website on a on a mobile phone, and and it's modified so that they can read it and they can experience it first rate. 
if you haven't done anything to, to perfect your website or modify your website so people can see it on a, on a cell phone without, without enlarging the print, uh, then, uh, then you're missing the boat because 50% of, of uh, web-based surfing now is, is on a mobile phone, believe it or not. Right. And how much of your, your CEO members are actually engaged or actually care about that aspect of it? you know, aside the, the social media presence or the website presence of their company? Are they really concerned about that at all? Are they paying attention to that? Or are they mainly delegating that down into the organization? Well, the, there's usually someone in charge of the website and, and social media and so forth at a business. But, but everything in small companies uh, comes down from the top. And, and so the money that needs to be spent to perfect your website for, for, to make it mobile-friendly has to be usually decided by the, the, the CEO to say, we're going to spend some money and, and, and redo our website or modify it so it works on a cell phone. Uh, so the CEO better be paying attention to it, because it, it but usually he or she will have somebody in the company who's looking after those kinds of things. Awesome. Great. So, um, so we got the... the Make sure that you're, at least from the external, your social media presence and your online presence is, um, will pass uh, the, the sniff test. And anything Absolutely. else? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the, you know, the other thing we find is that so, so many of our companies, so I think this is true uh, across the board, companies are not spending enough money on marketing. Marketing is about generating leads for your salespeople to go sell. That's their main function, Right. And so filling the funnel uh, uh, so that you have uh, enough leads and the right kind of leads that are, the, that are um, the right companies that you have the highest chance of closing. One of the techniques that we use to, to increase your closure rate is to fill the funnel with, with not only enough companies, but the right kind of companies that you have the best chance to win the business. What, I, what we see is that most CEOs understand selling because they're, they're usually pretty good salesmen. They, if, they st- if they started their business, they couldn't get going unless they could sell their product. But most CEOs are not experts in marketing, and uh, they need to be or they need to have a person that, or a consultant or a company that's helping them, them with that. But what, I, what we see is that most companies aren't spending enough money in marketing because they just don't have enough prospects mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, or enough of the right prospects. And do you have a recommendation for, you know, uh, based on a, a percentage or how much, what, how much do you think a company, how, or how does a CEO figure out what the right number is for them to be investing in marketing? Well, that's a really good question. It depends on a lot of different things, what, what the business model is and what your profit margins are and those kinds of things. But we have a concept called the lifetime value of a customer. This is a, a concept that I, I would guess that 50 to 75% of CEOs have, haven't heard that concept before. But it's a very, very important concept. And if you think about it, uh, if the lifetime value of a customer for you is, let's say it's $50,000, and the gross margin dollars from that 50000 is 15000 30% of, of 50000 is $15,000 in gross margin dollars per incremental new customer, mm-hmm. then you can go to your financial manager your controller or your CFO and say, okay, if, 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 it, if we can acquire $15,000 of gross margin, lifetime value of gross, gross margin dollars, what can we afford 
to spend to acquire that new customer. And, uh, and so the CFO and the controller can help you figure that out so that you don't overspend and, and, and run out of money. But, but it's, it's, uh, the answer to that question, coming back to the, to, to, to the answer, is, is, again, depends on your gross margins. If you have a, a 70, 70% gross margin business, then you can afford to spend a lot more money on acquiring a new customer, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it all comes back to your your financial model, your business model, and uh, whatever a, a, a company is spending in marketing, it's almost always not enough and not the right amount. But but what is the right amount depends on on uh, their particular business model and and what their cash flow looks like and what they can afford to spend. Right. So let's go back to the the, the a previous point about the the conversion rate. Uh, and you were saying that there's some specific things that you think are really important in terms of being able to increase that conversion rate. And that for you is the single biggest leverage point that a s- lever that a CEO can pull to increase the profitability in their business. Right. Tell, tell, Absolutely. tell me about some of those, those specific recommendations. By the way, um, that idea is not my uh, original idea. I want to give credit to that to Ken Robbins, who is the CEO of Response Mind Interactive here in Atlanta. And uh, he gave a presentation to our group one day uh, about the 10 most important things you can do to increase the success of your company. And that was his most significant point of his presentation. And uh, I just uh, stole it from him and... uh, uh, but the ideas I'm going to give you right now. So on you, how can, you, you can give a kind of shout out on, on you the radio. Bet, yeah. You <laughs> bet. Uh, but the ideas about how you can actually go do that are my ideas. And here are some of them. First of all, uh, the most important uh, thing you can do to increase closure or conversion rate is, is hire great salespeople, right? And so um, what you need to do is you need to have a great process for hiring salespeople who are going to give you a, a really terrific outcome. One of the, uh, uh, one of the assessments that we use uh, with our member companies that has become kind of a standard uh, practice for many of our members is uh, an assessment called the Harrison Assessment. And there's also some assessments that you can do to uh, determine uh, how, uh, uh, how a particular individual would how they would be successful in a selling situation or, or uh, there's also a DNA test, a sales DNA test that one of our consultants uh, does also. And, uh, but anyway, the whole idea is to hire people that would give you the best outcome and, and, and not be uh, afraid to upgrade your people to consistently try to find those, those really star performers because to be perfectly blunt about it, Hiring great salespeople who are going to give you great results is is really really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, every, I would say you could put you could you could take a hundred companies and put them in a room, random companies, and I'm, this is based on my experience. Ninety of those companies would not be happy with their with their sales force, uh, the the results and the quality of the people. It's really really hard to find great salespeople, and uh, and. and and there's so many things that you can do to to to, uh, to to increase that that probability. And there's so many things you can do to make once you hire the person to make them better. But the first most important thing, of course, is to is to hire great people. Next thing is to is to train them, right. is to train people in a way that uh, 
that gives them the best possibility for success. And so instead of spending a week or two showing them, okay, this is what we do, this is how we do it, uh, go on the call with them uh, for a few days and maybe uh, uh, repeat that process in a month, that's not good enough. You have to have a total process of, of, uh, of training your salespeople uh, on your product, your service, and uh, how to be better salespeople, how to be better people as, as individuals, how to have better relationships. Again, one of the most important factors in winning business is the relationship between the salesperson and the buyer. Mm. And, uh, and that's, that's a, a skill that some people have and some people don't, but you can develop those relationship skills. You can develop your ability to magnetize that customer to you as the salesperson. And it's, it can be an art, but, but there's a science to it also, and there are things you can do to, to increase that. Uh, uh, One question there. So hiring the right salespeople and training them sounds relatively straightforward. Why do you think that so many um, companies get it wrong? You say that 90%, if you, you know, threw them in a room, they'd be unhappy. Why do you think so many of them get it wrong? It's because they're operating their business in chaos. Uh, most uh, businesses intend to do all the right things. And, all, and a lot of the things that we're going to talk about today seem, okay, that seems obvious. Um, uh, our, most companies must, certainly must be doing that. But, but what ends up happening in the real world is that, is that customers, newer customers that you're installing or, or, or that you're delivering your product on have problems. And all of a sudden, half the resources of the company, including the CEO, including uh, the sales manager, are, are, are focused on this one company where they've got to save the day. They've got to solve this, all these big problems. Or a, a, a whole rash of dozens of things that go wrong inside companies, and you're reacting to all these problems. They just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where most companies are operating in chaos most of the time. And so their good intentions of doing all the obvious things just don't get done, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of that chaos, I mean, how do you, what's your recommendation for, because that seems to me like that low level or high level of chaos would be an underlying issue that runs throughout the whole, the whole company. Right. And so what, what's your recommendation for how CEOs can get, get the chaos kind of more under control? Well, uh, we call it firefighting, right? And we call it reactive behavior. And um, our co-chairman, Bill Schwartz, has written a book called Building a Generative Organization from Reactive Behavior to Inspired Performance. And that book is all about getting out of firefighting. So what we do as human beings in our lives and what we do in our businesses is that we react to what's in our face this week. What's the fire that's what's the worst fire that's happening this week? We react to it. We put our all of our resources towards it, and all of a sudden we find that that's where we're spending most of our time. We do that in our personal lives. Every single person listening to this can relate to this. Where your child is uh, having a problem, or or your your car is acting up, or things go wrong. And so uh, what Bill Schwartz has done is he's come up with a marvelous solution, uh, a marvelous concept of, of how to find, how to get to the root cause of, of what's, 
what's uh, going wrong in the company. And it's all about systems dynamics, and I'm not going to be able to explain this in our short time together, uh, how to get out of reactive behavior. But it's, it's what we tend to do as human beings is we tend to put quick fixes in place. We tend to put Band-Aids on problems because we want this quick fix. We need to solve this right away so we can go do something else to solve a problem. And, and so these fires are going off inside our companies. We put quick fixes in place. And, and what happens is that doesn't really solve the problem because it doesn't deal with the root cause of what's causing the upset behavior, upset conditions inside your company. So if you take a look at the way your company really works, it works according to how it's structured, how it's designed. Water flows according to the lay of the land. That's one of the core principles in Bill's book. So your company works according to the way it's structured. And if you change the structure, you'll change the outcome. And so what his book is about is, to, is, is determining through systems dynamics by determining, uh, uh, taking a look at what goes wrong inside your company and figuring out what the root cause, root cause analysis is, then you can, if you fix the root cause, then, then that problem will never happen again. Put quick fixes in place, the problems come back. If you fix the root cause, then that problem never happens again. And guess what? If you do this throughout your entire company and you, and you reduce your reactive behavior from spending 50% of your time firefighting and reacting to problems, and instead of doing that, you're spending 10% of your time reacting and fighting fires, then you've, re- then you've released 40% of your time to to create the future, to, to, to be productive. Because when you're fighting fires, you're not productive. You didn't plan on that fire happening. It's totally unproductive time. It's a waste of time. So if you actually do things so that those fires don't happen, then, uh, then you're, you're freeing up all this production capacity. And, and Bill talks about in his uh, presentations to, the, to, the, to the, our members and in our meetings, he's, he says he's never seen a company that's more than 20% productive. And people look at him and say, are you kidding? Are you kidding? You said, so he, I'm killing he's, myself. He's never seen a company that's more than 20% productive. Yeah, let me tell you how that works. But, but people say, are you kidding? I'm working my rear end off. Everybody in my company is working 60 hours a week. We're not productive. Uh, but the reality is, is we're spending um, the majority of our time fighting fires, and that's zero productivity. If your car breaks down and you got to spend your half a day getting your car fixed, is that productive? No. No. If uh, if your your customer has this new installation or this new customer has th- these huge problems that you didn't anticipate, they weren't supposed to happen, but you got to spend take fifty percent of your resources and go solve that problem. Is that productive? No. No. So if you can eliminate those fires from happening, then you free up all this production capacity. So what he's saying is that people are spending 50, 60, 70% of their time fighting fires, and that's not productive. So they're only 20 or 30% efficient. Wow. Wow. So, by the way, uh, you won't find his book at Amazon. Uh, uh, Bill is uh, an unusual guy. He's probably sold 20,000 books, but uh, he uh, gives them to his customers and he sells them to his customers. And if anybody wants that book, they can, uh, they can Google my website or, or email me 
uh, and I'll give them the book. Uh, this is one of my missions in life, and Bill's missions in life is to, is to give back and to share what we, our wisdom and our People knowledge. love free stuff. You bet. So if you want to uh, 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 email me, uh, I'm at tom at braintrustceo.com, and I'll send you the book for free, and, and it's my gift to you for for uh, for taking your time to listen today, and it's uh, it's just really amazing the things the, the productivity increases we're seeing in some of our companies as a result of these ideas. Wow! So, um, in terms of your work with the the brain trusts and, and advising CEOs, I imagine that one of the key things that you do is try to change people's thinking. And so, what do you do to change people's thinking about being stuck in chaos and firefighting? Because I imagine it's probably starts in you know with their mentality first, and you, before you can even affect any change, you have to change the way people think. So, what do you? How do you work with people to change their perspective and, and prioritize making the investment in long term solutions versus band aids? Well, one of the benefits of sitting in a room with fifteen other CEOs where uh, everybody's on the same journey. Everybody's got very similar challenges. And, uh, and if you're sitting there with, with them all admitting to each other, disclosing to each other, yeah, yeah you're right, that's, I, I spend 50% of my time fighting fires. And, uh, and so if you, if you have this uh, common... Uh, journey that we're all on and everybody's admitting and disclosing yep that's right that's 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 what's happening to me too then it, we don't have to change anything they get it uh they change their own thinking because they get that okay we're all having the same challenge we're all uh, not as productive as we need to be and and we're all um i mean we, we've had some companies implement some of these ideas and they've reduced their headcount by 25 percent just through efficiencies and every company's got I don't uh, every every company's got twenty five percent of their people where they're they're not in the right seat or they're, they're not the right person to be in the business and so uh, if you implement these ideas become more efficient and reduce headcount uh, you can you can grow without adding headcount or you can re- replace some of these some of the people that that are toxic to your company or that are, that are not the right people and uh, and and. Um, and and have a lot of other benefits in addition to just increased productivity. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like your CEO members have really brought you into the inner circle and brought you into their life uh, as a what we call a trusted advisor. And I was wondering why why do you think that that's the case? Why do you think that you've been successful in having um, in first of all building your own CEO peer group company um, as distinct from some other uh, chair chairs and other companies? You've built your own. And, you know, you've obviously been successful in having CEOs think of you as a counselor. Why do you think that's the case? Well, uh, I've been very lucky to uh, have a lot of experience uh, in life and in business. And uh, I started my first business when I was 26 years old. And and I've started seven companies. And uh, and. You make that them. sound so easy. Well, it's. It, I was <laughs> just going to say it's it's not, and I failed uh, a couple of times along the way. Only a couple. So, uh, so I've you know I, I've had the, the the good fortune of 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 having the opportunity to to start businesses and uh, uh, and have the experience of of growing a business and and having the journey myself of running a business and, and so I, I have a, a fair amount of experience that I can share 
with our members. And, and so I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. So it's not always about giving them advice about this is what's going to work, but it's all about um, avoiding mistakes that other people have made. So I'm able to share uh, the mistakes that I've made with, my, with our, our members, and that, that's part of the benefit of, of this whole group coming together with 15 people in the same room is, is a lot of mistakes are made by all of these uh, very successful people, and we can share in that. But I've had a lot of experience uh, winning and losing, and, uh, and, and, and that helps to be able to, to share that kind of information. Uh, I think the Wall Street Journal uh, wrote an article once, and they interviewed CEOs and said, what, what's the biggest influence on you that has given you the uh, ability to be successful? What was the biggest single thing? And, and uh, their answer was, well, my experience has is, is, had the biggest influence on my success. And then he said, what's the second? They asked you, they asked, what's the second most important uh, aspect that has helped you to become successful? And they, they answered, well, the experience I'm able to, to glean from other people, my management team and so forth. And so um, that's what we do at the Brain Trust is we share our experience. That's, that's why we exist. And so the fact that I have a lot of experience to share gives me the opportunity to, to, to give that information, share that information, and it can be uh, very valuable at times. And I'm never the smartest person in the room, but, but I've had the good fortune of having a fair amount of experience. And, and I might be more, one of the more experienced people because I've run a number of businesses and I've also mentored over 75 Atlanta area uh, business owners over this 16-year period that I've had the brain trust. So um, I've learned a lot from them and a lot of different business models and a lot of different ways to be successful and a lot of different ways to make money. Hmm. And as you think about CEOs and advising them on, on advisors and choosing advisors, one of the things we talk about here are the relationships that support them in, in being successful. And as you look at, not just at yourself, but as CEOs choose trusted advisors, why is it that you think that some some professionals rise to the level of being brought into the inner, inner circle and, and others just remain, you know, a, a great service provider, a great lawyer, a great accountant, but they don't end up being and rising to the level, ri- becoming a trusted mm-hmm. advisor or rising to the level of being a counselor the way that you've become. Well, the answer to that question, Soini, is, is kind of simple. Um, if, if you're talking about lawyers and CPAs, as, as an example... Uh, or any service professional. Well, let's just pick those two to begin with, and then we'll talk about others. But what I found with, uh, with uh, CPAs and lawyers is many of them are uh, technicians. They have really good answers to the questions. They have, let's say, a lawyer is very technically very good at writing a contract or, or, um, or telling you or helping you with the legal aspects of a particular deal. What, what they generally, what, what we hear a lot about lawyers is that they're deal killers, not deal makers. So uh, what a lot of lawyers do is they will... If there are lawyers listening, we're not bashing you. No, no, we're not. <laughs> uh, uh, we're giving you some ideas about how you can be better and, and, and win more business on, on your, your uh, end of, the, the end of uh, things. But uh, uh, many lawyers will, will try to, to tell me if I'm hiring them or working with them 
this is what can go wrong. This is all the things. Why not to do this? Uh, and they don't put my hat on unless I ask them to. And so I'll, when I'm working with an attorney, I'll say, okay, if you were me and, uh, and I am willing to take this level of risk, usually a lawyer is helping you with risk, right? He's helping you uh, uh, determine uh, uh, the, what is, from his point of view, what is the most uh, perfect way of dealing with a particular situation or a contract or, or an M&A transaction or what have you. But the lawyer will usually tell you all the things that can go wrong and, and why not to, to do something. But, but then I say, okay, I'm, what would you do if you were me? And I'm willing to take this level of risk. Then the lawyer can say, okay, can I answer that question? So maybe, maybe uh, uh, if you're a lawyer, you ought to be volunteering that to add value. If you're the CEO working with a lawyer, then you need to be asking the, the lawyer that question. If you want him to be him or her to be a uh, strategic advisor for you, then you need to have that person put your hat on and evaluate the situation from your point of view. Same thing with with CPAs. They they uh, they're technicians. They they give you bl black and white answers. It's it's pretty much either this. You know, they they don't have uh, you know the way they work is things are either this way or that way. But they rarely will volunteer their opinion on the business decision that's involved in a particular issue. And so again, the the CEO needs to be asking his or her CPA. What would you do if you were me? If I'm willing to take this level of risk on this tax question, what would you advise? That, what would you do if you were me? So it's all about risk management. It's all about getting input from your trusted advisor as if, as if they were sitting in your chair or walking in your shoes. And the same thing goes for all advisors. Uh, lots of you know, advisors don't get fired for uh, uh, for um, giving. Uh, input that's technical, uh, that they know is accurate, but if if they if they volunteer uh, an opinion about things, uh, they think they're taking the risk of getting of getting fired because they're giving an opinion of what if that if the CEO goes goes ahead and takes it takes it, uh, action based on that opinion, uh, but the reality of it is if you're giving input and advice. Uh, I, as the CEO, have to have responsibility for choosing what I'm going to choose and not blame other people. And, uh, and so the, the way you add value as a trusted advisor is to sit in, is to, is to give advice as if you were the CEO um, walking in his or her shoes and uh, volunteer that information and add value. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you mentioned is, is this notion of being strategic. Um, and... So tell me a little bit about your thinking on how all of this, especially the, the thought of uh, getting out of chaos, leads to a more strategic approach to running, running the business. Well, would you say that most of your CEOs do take a, a strategic approach and are looking for that? Oh, I think most, most of uh, CEOs are doing that, but at what level? Um, Everybody has good intentions to have written strategic plans, and uh, uh, if you're a twenty-five million dollar company or fifty million dollar company, you probably have a written strategic plan. 
But if you're a three to $15 million company, you probably don't. It's all about e- evolution in your business. And if you can operate a three or $5 million company the way $25 million companies are operated, then you'll be more successful. But, but the reality of it is, is that the, the, when a business is smaller, it's still evolving, it's still figuring it out, it's still developing, developing their systems and their processes, and they're still figuring out how to scale the business. And in the process of doing that, you're living in chaos because you haven't got it right yet. Mm. And so these smaller businesses find themselves in firefighting and reactive behavior, reactive uh, uh, um, uh, way of seeing things so that their good intentions never never get rise to the top mm-hmm. because they're just, they're just spending all of their time solving problems and reacting to what's going on in the business. But those who are spending time on developing strategy, uh, it's about creating the future. Um, how can you evolve? We have a question in the Brain Trust, that we ongoing question that we keep back asking ourselves. <clears throat> excuse me, and that is how do we create a company that, if it arrived in my space, it would put me out of business? Think about that question for a minute. It's it's a it's a very bold and very amazing question. And so, uh, if you want to be strategic in your business, then you need to be evolving the company to become that company that would put you out of business. And so you need to be spending time creating the future. You need to be spending time evolving the business. You need to be spending time uh, working on, uh, on uh, new ideas and uh, uh, new products, new services. And uh, how are you going to change the game in your business? Changing the game is another big thing we talk about in the Brain Trust. And, and those companies and those CEOs who, are, who have figured that out, how to change the game in their industry, uh, are the ones who are going to be unbelievably successful. So I think what I heard you say is that even though um, advisors may be a little bit hesitant, that it is important for them to take a stand and to push... The, their CEOs to be a little bit more strategic, even if it feels a little bit uncomfortable for both of them. Absolutely. Okay. Why do you think that's important to, to, to be willing to take that risk to make the CEO uncomfortable? Well, we all need to be challenged. And um, that's, I guess that's another way, a good way of putting it is as a, an advisor needs to be challenging uh, their client, their CEO that they're working with. And uh, uh, I, know that all of our CEOs in our, in our membership uh, respect that and want to be challenged. And, and the problem is they're, they're, they're not getting that inside their company. Uh, their, their employees, very few CEOs give um, uh, permission or empower their people to challenge them. And is that something that you would recommend, though? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. In fact, I would keep score on it, and I would... <laughs> I would uh, reward our um, uh, people who worked for me, who challenged me. Oh, so this is something that you have done? Uh, yeah, I, I have. Uh, it's been a, a while since I've had a lot of employees in a business, but uh, no, uh, I, I had this, that sense uh, a while back, and, and it, it really is important to, uh, to give permission to your people to have new ideas and to disagree with, with me and 
and, uh, and challenge me. Great. Well, I think that's all the time that we have today for, uh, for our show. Tom, just one more time in case people are curious about anything that they've heard that they want to get um, the free copy of, of the book. How, how do folks get in touch with you if they well, want to? Well, there's one last thing I wanted to mention is that there are, I have about 15 things that you can do to increase your, your uh, conversion rate or your uh, closure rate. Again, you can ask me for that. I'd be happy to give that away as well. So if you'd like to reach me, you can call me at 770-924-2883. And you can email me at tom at braintrustceo.com. All right. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thank you, Soini. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.